Third Western Christadelphian Bible School, Boulder Creek, California. Brother Dunaway's lecture, The Return of the Jews to Palestine. Does that have anything to do with God's purpose with the earth? I'll explain to those of you who may not know that this dark part here, from Dan down to Zophadila, that's the modern state of Israel. You can't hear you, Brother Dunaway. <coughs> the pink part is Jordan. Now, this is going to be the center of the gathering of the Jews at the present time, and it's not the only territory that is promised to the Jews. Now, tonight, I hope to show you that this subject, and I'm going to try to present to you tonight, it's a subject that revolves around God's plan and purpose, the gathering of the Jew back into the Holy Land. Can you hear me in the back? <clears throat> I think now I'm going to start this subject tonight in Second Samuel, the seventh chapter, and the twelfth verse, you will find the covenant that God made with David. This covenant was made, and around an understanding of that covenant helped you to understand God's plan and purpose with the Jews. Now in Second Samuel, the seventh chapter, and beginning at the twelfth verse, you will hear the words of this covenant. <clears throat> you remember David was the second king of Israel. God had a kingdom in the earth at one time, and this kingdom was made up of the twelve sons of Jacob, which I'm going to let represented by this stick that I hold in my hand. You remember Saul was the first king that reigned over the whole house of Israel. David was the second king that reigned over the whole house of Israel. Now it was during David's lifetime that this covenant that I'm going to read to you was made. So, you see, the kingdom hadn't existed very long before this covenant that I'm going to read to you was given to David. And here's the wording of the covenant. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. I'll be a time when they won't move anymore. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore before time. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, 
and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. Now, before I read the covenant, I want to turn to the 23rd chapter of this same book. And if you remember, this 23rd chapter gives us the last words of David. Now, it's just natural for us, when our loved ones are passing away, to get the last words that they say. Now, these be the last words of David. And you can follow it if you have your Bibles. Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man that was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. I want you to notice that particular line, because when we get to the covenant, I'll point out to you why I emphasize that. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he should be as the light of the morning. When the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as a tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. And this is all my salvation and all my desire. Now there's the last words of David. God made with David an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. This is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Now what does that mean? Now, if I go back here and read the 19th verse of this second Samuel, the 7th chapter, and this was a, yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. It didn't grow in David's lifetime. It was to be way down the stream of time, and it's even beyond where we are tonight. That covenant has never been fulfilled. The promise has been made. It's all David's salvation and all his desire. God made with him an everlasting covenant. Ordered in all things and sure, although it didn't grow. But David understood it was for a great while to come, way out in the future. Now, I haven't yet read the covenant. I'm telling, showing you how David looked upon it, how David looked forward to the fulfillment of that covenant that God had made with him. Now let's read the covenant. Going back now to the 12th verse, notice what he says. David, 
When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. Now David reigned for forty years, and when his days were fulfilled, he's going to sleep with his father. Does that mean he went to heaven? Well, now, lots of people say when you die, you go to heaven if you're good. But what about David? If anybody in the world would go to heaven when they die, David was a man after God's own heart. He did many things that are wrong, but he knew how to reach the Almighty. That's creating me a clean heart. He did what we ought to do when we, when we commit wrong. And God pronounced David a man after his own heart. Now here he is. He reigns over the whole house of Jacob, the twelve tribes. You're going to reign till your days will be fulfilled, and then you're going to sleep with your father. That's the sleep of death, as we all know. He went into the death day. Now let's see what's going to happen. <clears throat> I, you'll sleep with your fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Thine house, David, and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. That is, before David. Now, I asked the person about that one time. He said, well, that's before David ever existed. Well, that isn't the idea at all. David slept with his father. David went into the death state after he had reigned 40 years. Now he goes into the death state. Now the kingdom is to be established before David. What does that mean? It simply means it's going to be established in David's presence. It's to be established in his presence. I say I hold this stick up in your presence. I hold it up before you. I hold it up in your presence. Now the kingdom is to be established before David. To do that, what must happen to David? We all know that he'll have to be brought out of the death state. We can see that, but the world will say, no, that isn't the idea. Listen at this verse. He says here, <clears throat> I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, if he commit iniquity, now, Adam Clark translates that, so does Dr. Thomas, in his suffering for iniquity. He never committed any iniquity in his suffering for iniquity. I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Now, lots of people say that this has reference to Solomon. Solomon was the one that followed David, and Solomon's kingdom was a glorious kingdom, perhaps a type of the kingdom that is to be out in the future. But do we know who this seed is? Now notice, I, this is God, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now when the angel came to Mary, and what did Mary say? What did the angel say to Mary? You're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. And the Lord God shall 
Give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. What do you mean by the house of Jacob? My friends, the house of Jacob is the whole twelve tribes of Israel. That's the house of Jacob, and that was the kingdom of God in the past. Well, you might ask the question, what kind of a kingdom was symbolized to David? Well, he likens it, as we found over here in the 23rd chapter, he likens the association uh, to a morning without a cloud. The kingdom of God will not have a cloud upon it. It, it won't be anything in this kingdom that any outside interference can come in and upset it. And he says here, ruling over men in the fear of God. When Christ comes in this kingdom and this seed that's promised here is Christ, when that Christ comes and establishes this kingdom that he's talking about here made the covenant with David, there won't be anything that can interfere with God's plan and purpose. Everything will be as a morning without a cloud. And David realized that that was the kind of a kingdom that he would rule and reign over. Now we know that I'm representing this stick now as the whole twelve tribes. Saul reigned over it first. David reigned over it second. And when David was reigning, this covenant was made with him. Now Solomon came after David and reigned for 40 years. He built the temple. You know why David was not allowed to build it? But Solomon built the temple. And following Solomon, after building the temple, it was an expensive proposition. The people were taxed, just as they're taxed today. They're getting tired of it. Ten of the tribes under Jeroboam came to Rehoboam, the man that followed Solomon, and they said, Won't you lighten our taxes? Rehoboam said, My father, which was Solomon, chastised you with whip, but I will chastise you with scorpion. And because of that remark, the kingdom was divided into ten tribes and two tribes. Now to understand God's plan and purpose, you have to understand that these six must be come back and join one stick in the hand. In other words, the restoration of the kingdom to Israel and the alien from the commonwealth of Israel makes us without God and without hope in the world. So I consider it a very important thing to understand what you mean by the restoration of this kingdom to Israel. Will these two tribes and the ten tribes ever be brought back and made one stick in the hands as the prophet pictures it out in 37th division of Ezekiel? He's talking about the dry bones in this 37th chapter. All of you are familiar with the dry bones. I heard a preacher over the radio just before I left home, and he was talking about these dry bones. He said that represents the slowness that's in the churches today. Oh, he said that the, the churches are just dry bones, and he wanted to see. Oh, I said if I could just get to that preacher for a little bit and show him what those dry bones represent. 
Now, you don't have to be guessing at what those dry bones represent. These dry bones, the prophet Ezekiel was taken out into a great valley and saw the bones in the valley. Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Thou knowest, O Lord. And there came a time when these bones began to shuffle, began to move, and they began to come together. And there was a great shaking, the great shaking. I think that was during Hitler's regime that that great shaking took place. But what do these bones represent? Read the 11th verse. The 11th verse says these bones are the whole house of Israel. What is the whole house of Israel? It's the ten tribes and the two tribes. That's what these bones represent, the whole house of Israel. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn to that 37th chapter of Ezekiel and let's look at what the prophet really said there and we can understand in reading this 37th chapter and I'm going to use the language of the prophets and the reason I like to take two sticks like this is because the prophet uses sticks. He said, take two sticks and write upon it for Judah and the children of Israel, his companions. Judah was the leading tribe of the two tribes. And then Ephraim was the leading tribe of the ten tribes. Now he said, take these two sticks and join them together, one in thine hand. And what is the meaning of all that? The prophet wants to know. Then in the 20th verse he explained, 21st verse he explained, Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel, the ten tribes and the two tribes. Now notice what he says. I will take the children of Israel from among the nations whither they be gone and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. Now that's what's going on now, my friends, in Palestine. They're being gathered from every corner of the earth. Now I talked to many people over there and I said, are there any of the ten tribes? The Jerusalem Post quoted that some of the ten tribes were gathered. But the greatest number are gathering back there are the tents of Judah. They should be gathered back first. Now notice what he says. Gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation. Were they ever one nation? Yes, they were one nation before the division. You can see that. They were one nation at one time. The whole twelve tribes were one nation. Now, there are two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Now, he said, I will bring them back and make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. That king, as we all know, is Christ. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. They'll never be divided when they brought back and made one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. How many kings reigned over the ten tribes? There were 19 of these kings, including the first, and Hoshea was the last one. They were carried away captive and scattered in all the world. Now the two tribes, there were 19 kings in this land after Rehoboam, and the last king, that sat on the line of David was Zedekiah. And what did, the, what did God say to Zedekiah? Thou wicked 
prince of Israel, whose day has come when iniquity shall have an end. That is in the kingdom. Shall have an end. Thus says the Lord God, remove the diadem. Kings wore diadems are the headgear of the priest. They acted as priest and king. Remove the diadem. Take off the crown. Kings wore crowns. Exalt the low and abase the high. Who's the low and who's the high? The kingdom of Israel was the great kingdom at one time. Just at that time, the Gentile kingdoms began to come into existence. Exalt the low. Referring to Gentile government. Abase the high. The high was the kingdom of God. Abase that. Bring it down. And, uh, and bring up the law or the Gentile government. And we have the beginning of Gentile times in this image here. Now notice what the prophet said. Exalt the law. Abase the high. Bring the kingdom of God down. Let the kingdoms of men come up. Then he says, I'll overturn, overturn, overturn it. That's the kingdom of Israel. And it shall be no more until he comes, whose right it is, and I will give it him. Now, who's the he? We know the angel promised Mary. She bear a son, call his name Jesus, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob, which is the ten tribes and the two tribes restored, made one nation in the land of Onamon of Israel. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. My friends, that's the commonwealth of Israel to be restored. And what's going on at the present time, my friends, I mean, it's an indication that we're close to that time. Now, what did, Jesus, what did Jesus do when he came into the earth? He commenced preaching about a kingdom. That's the first thing he began to talk. I stood over there in the little city of Nazareth where he opened the book and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And the preachers of his day didn't like that. And they took him to the bow of the hill and was going to throw him overboard. The guy said to us, man, here's where they tried to throw Jesus overboard. Well, there were several places there that looked to me like would fix his prophecy. But they said, this is the place right here. Jesus moved out from among them, and he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities, for therefore am I sent. And he went out preaching the kingdom of God. Did he explain to the people about the kingdom of God? My friends, he made no explanation about the kingdom of God. Do you suppose that he understood that the kingdom of God was to be the kingdom of Israel restored? I believe he understood exactly what he was talking about. We're told that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. He sent the twelve and in Luke, the ninth chapter in the second verse, he sent them to preach the kingdom, preach the gospel. The sixth verse says they went through the town preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel and preaching the kingdom of God, my friends, is the same thing. And Christ was preaching that kingdom. Why did the people ask, where is he that's born king of the Jews? 
Why did they ask that? Some of them knew that Christ was to be king of the Jews. And when Christ stood before Pilate, what did Pilate ask him? Are you a king? Yes, he said, to that end was I born, and for this purpose came I into the world. To be king. Well, away with him. We have a king, Caesar. Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate had to write the inscription over his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The old hypocritical Jews looking at that said, Pilate, don't write it that way, but that he said he was king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And there it is, brethren and sisters and friends tonight, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But has he ever been king of the Jews? No. The kingdom is to be established before David. Now, if it's going to be established before David, it's going to be established at the resurrection because David will never stand up until the resurrection comes. My friends, the kingdom of God is the theme of the gospel covenant made with Abraham. The gospel was first preached to Abraham in Galatians 3 8. The scripture, Old Testament, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen or the Gentile through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. What does gospel mean? It means good news. Preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's good news, isn't it? Has all the families of the earth ever yet been blessed? No, we know that they, all families have never been blessed. But my friends, I want to tell you that that time is coming. That time is close at hand. How close it is, nobody knows. Jesus did not leave us in darkness in regard to his second coming. He said the Jews would be led away captive into all nations. Hasn't that been fulfilled? That's been fulfilled and we all know it. And Jerusalem, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until when? Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What do you mean by the times of the Gentiles? The beginning of Gentile times represented in Daniel, the second chapter. We have the head of gold representing Babylon. Then the silver and the arms representing Medo-Persia. Then the Grecians representing the, this part of the image. Then they come down to the legs, part of our... Uh, to the legs, the Eastern and Western Roman Empire. Now, in the toe period, the kingdom was to be divided. The ten toes representing ten kingdoms of Europe. My friend, I'm able to read history. We're down now in the toe period of that image. That's the closing days of Gentile time. And the closing days of Gentile time is to be the restoration of the kingdom back to Israel. The Jews are gathering back. I was there, they were coming in 1,000 every day. 1,000. There's a million 500,000 Jews in that country at the present time. They're being gathered back in, in great numbers. And this little land, the Palestine that you see here, if there's ever been a miracle that we could just see it taking place, we can see it taking place here in this country. What's going on there? When we were there, 
we saw Jewish colonists, 600, they said, Jewish colonists all up and down here, they're down as low as Beersheba. Those of you who read the Jews in the news know that here in the hills of Galilee, they're building a great reservoir that holds one billion cubic centimeters of water. They're getting it from the snow-capped mountains here, the spring it down, and also get the little uh, Gulf of Elath here, and the Jordan River, and also the Sea of Galilee. They're gathering that water. What are we doing with that water? You know, the United States Steel Corporation in America has furnished 100,000 tons of steel to build these pipelines, and they're irrigating all down through this country and coming on down to Beersheba, which is here. And they are actually, they're actually at the present time irrigating. We saw overhead irrigation. And my friends, wherever you see overhead irrigation in that desert, the 35th chapter of Isaiah comes to my mind. The desert shall blossom as a rose. You never saw anything in your life like the flowers, the vegetation, and everything of that kind. They have drained the marshes of Cuba here. They put great bats, concrete bats, and stocked them with fish. And the, the chief meat, we were there with fish in that country. And they raised their fish. And they reclaimed 25,000 acres of land. And they claim that this land is the richest land in Palestine. It's been marshes there, the marshes of Cuba. It's been marshes there for long ages. But they have actually drained those marshes put the water in that raising fish using their heads as well as their hands to produce fish for that country. My friends, it's a miracle what's going on there. The world doesn't understand what it's all about, but you do. You understand what it's all about. This land is being reclaimed. This land is blossoming as a rose. The desert is blossoming as a rose. We went down to Beersheba here, and from Beersheba all down to the Gulf of Elam. We didn't get to go down there because the airplane that we could go down there on was booked up for a whole week and we planned to leave on Saturday. We were going down there and come back and start home that night. But it booked up for a week, so we didn't get to go down there. We couldn't drive down there. There was very little road. But they're building concrete roads now down through the desert, clear down here to the Gulf of Elam. They came... What are the things concerning the kingdom of God? You see them here. All of you are familiar. There might be somebody here that's not familiar with the things concerning the kingdom. You couldn't have a kingdom without a king. You couldn't have a kingdom without some territory. And we're told in, in Zechariah 14, 9 that Christ is to be king over all the earth. And that day there should be one Lord and his name one. That's the territory of the kingdom. He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers under the uttermost parts of the earth. All kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. All that's good news to me. You know, when I get talking on this subject, I just get falling over with enthusiasm. I think it's the most wonderful thing to have a knowledge of God's plan and purpose in your mind because it makes you glad. Rejoice! in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Well, you couldn't have a kingdom without king in a territory. Now, who are the subjects? The subjects are the mortal nations of this earth. 
The time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. That hasn't come yet. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven, not in heaven, but under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions. There's your subject. All dominions, the mortal nations of this earth, shall serve and obey him. <coughs> Who's the royal household? Brothers and sisters, I hope that many of us will be there as a royal household to reign with Christ upon the earth. When we stand before the judge of all the earth to give an account of things that we've done, whether it be good or whether it be bad, if we're, if we're looked upon with favor, Jesus will say, Come, you blessed in my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. My friends, this preparation has been going on through the ages. The seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. The seed of the woman was cried. Moving the serpent's head is filling the whole earth with his glory. You can see the whole plan of God in that one statement if we comprehend its meaning. Now, we come on down <coughs> to the law. There be laws in the kingdom of God. The law shall go forth from Zion. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It will go forth where? It will go forth to the nations of the earth. And what is, what is said? He rebukes the nations. And what do they do? They beat the swords that they're making now into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's the solution to the world's trouble, and there isn't any other solution. God bringeth to naught the devices of men, the League of Nations is the device of man. The UN Conference is the device of man. All the efforts they're putting forth are the devices of man. And God bringeth to naught the devices of man. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. And you can see that taking place today. Over the world, you see that very thing taking place. Brothers and sisters, are you glad that you understand God's plan and purpose? I want to tell you, this makes me so glad that I want to tell everybody about it. And when I want to tell them about it, I'm not interested in that. I want to know when the war is going to stop. <laughs> well, if it, let me tell them, I can tell them when it's going to stop. It's going to stop when Christ comes back. Here's the stone cut out of the mountain without hands. Mark the image upon the feet. This image is standing up now. <clears throat> we have two prongs of that image. Here's the democracy on one foot, and here's Russia on the other foot. They're standing up, and the stone cut out of the mountain without hand strikes the image upon the feet, grinds it to powder. Here we're right in the days when that can happen almost any time now. The great question that I want to close this lecture with, are we ready for the coming of the Master? Are we doing anything to help people to see? Brother came to my room this afternoon, and he spoke about a certain sect that's just covering the earth with their literature. They're standing on the streets and handed out, and they're working day and night with something that we don't think is so. Here we are, have the truth, and what are we doing? What are we doing to try to help the people? I told the people in Kentucky, I said the Western Bible School is doing more than all the other Bible schools that I know anything about, one in Arkansas included. 
I said they have a table of literature, six, five or six thousand pieces of literature. They give it out and send it broadcast. They're trying to help people. They're trying to help the blind. You people out here are doing more than any ecclesia that I know of, any group that I know of anywhere on the face of the earth. We ought all to be busy. We ought all to do everything we can. I came on the plane the other night, sat by a soldier. I began to talk to him about the situation in the world today, and I found that he was interested in what I was telling him. I gave him some literature. I said, now, when you get settled, I'm going to Korea. I said, when you get settled, if you will send me your name and address, I'll send you a lot of literature. He, when we got off the plane, he said, I want to thank you for giving me the information that you have. I've enjoyed every bit of it. I talked to him about two hours. He didn't get tired. Now, wherever you find anybody that's interested, get some literature here, hand it out to them, and begin to talk to them, and it might be that we could get the attention, the ear of somebody, if only one can be brought in. Well, I'm not discouraged because they just don't flock in. Because Jesus, when he was asked the question that many would be saved, he said the way to eternal life is straight and narrow, and few there be that find it. I told that soldier, I said, I'm among that little few that I believe has found the way, to uh, the straight and narrow way that leads to eternal life. Well, the work can go on and on, and I hope this Western Bible school will grow and grow, and I believe it will. You don't know how, how much it means to me to get to come out here. It means more to me than you think for. And I want to thank now, and I express my appreciation to every one of you that had anything to do with me coming out here. I could just help somebody. My greatest desire is to help somebody to help somebody else to help somebody else and let the good work go on. Now, to pardon the suggestion, I have an announcement that I've been indirectly asked to make. <clears throat> the World's Redemption, the new edition that's just been published, sells for $2. If you don't have the World's Redemption, I wish you'd get it. That will give you God's plan and purpose with this earth. It's a wonderful book written by Thomas Williams, whose long years edited the Advocate. That book, I don't know whether it's any here or not, but you can order that book from Sister Virgin Malone at Richmond, Virginia. It costs you $2. I'm not an agent for it, and if I was to sell you 10000 it wouldn't make a penny. But I would love to see many of you, if you don't have that book, to get it. Now, over here is a chart that you all enjoy looking at. That chart from Eden to Eden. Go back to the Garden of Eden, and when Eden is restored, the whole earth is filled with God's glory, you'll have the story written in pictures by Brother Hall. Brother Beaton brought the chart down here. Remember he lectured on it last year, and I was hoping he was going to lecture on it this year. But he put it up there for you to look at, and I hope everybody will go through that chart. It's self-explanatory. I am